0: So typically when we do a vision series, because we do this every so often, because uh, as Melody said last week, uh, Andy Stanley is a great leadership guru. He he does a lot of leadership podcasts and everything. And one of the things that he says all the time is vision leaks. And so, especially in a time where it's chaotic and there's all these things going on around the world, vision doesn't just kind of drip out and leak uh, uh, the, the way that it used to do. Now, when it's under great stress. It doesn't just leak, it like pours out sometimes. And, and so we have to uh, hear the word of God and things and allow Him to continue. To refill us, and I believe what we're seeing in the world today is an example of what happens when vision begins to leak, and 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 when vision begins to leak at a greater pace, and, and than it what it normally would. When how I mean, you know if you got like a water balloon and it has a little pinhole in it, it'll drip out, or it may spray out a little bit. But if you squeeze that balloon a little bit, what's it going to do? It's going to start spraying out, and may even bust and all the water go out. And I think that that's what's happening. to a lot of people who are Christians and believers is they're beginning to lose what God's vision for their life is. And in scripture, it says that where there is no vision, that people begin to perish or that people cast off restraint. And, And what that means is they literally just begin to follow whatever seems to be, really, most of the time, it's whatever is the loudest or whatever kind of is nearest to our hearts. And, and so what you see now is you see a lot of people who, when they were able to come together in God's house and they were able to to, to worship together and sing together and serve together and all of that, that they, they felt like they were a part of a vision. They felt like they had purpose for their life and they were serving and, and God was using them and they felt that connection and everything. But when all the disconnection came, some of that vision began to drip and it's like, okay, if I can't hold a baby in nursery anymore and serve in that capacity, then how do I serve? If I can't uh, be an usher or greeter at church and shake people's hands and, and all of that, then, then what does it mean for me? If i worked in children's ministry, now we can't have children's ministry, then, then, then what do I do? Because many times we find our identity not in, in whose we are, but what we do for whose we are. Does that make sense? I know that's probably horrible English. But you followed me on that, all right? Y'all with me? And so, what a lot. What we're seeing is people casting off restraint, and they're looking for vision, and they're connecting to movements, or connecting to political party issues, or connecting to to different things, and they're taking that up, and they're beginning to fight for that. And it is important now more than ever that God's people don't become distracted by other things and begin to feel weak or weary or distant, because a lot of what happens is instead of getting up in the morning and opening up our Bible or opening up our Version app or whatever it is, however we consume the word of God, a lot of times we're opening up our our uh, uh, Facebook app or or Instagram and we're turning to social media. We're opening it up and turning on our TV to see what the news is saying. What's the latest and everything that happened in the news? And, and so we begin to do that. And, and really what what we're seeing is exactly what we saw with Peter when Peter was out on the water, he was literally walking on water as long as he had his eyes fixed on Jesus. But when he began to look at the waves and he began to look at the circumstances to the right and the left, what did he begin to do? He began to sink. And Jesus went over and offered his hand to pull him back up. And he looked at him and, and he said, Oh, Peter, you have little faith. I know some people have been, you know, they kind of preached that like Jesus was condemning him. You little faith. If you would have just had enough faith, you would have been all right. You know, anybody ever heard that type of message like, if you just had enough faith, you'd be healed. If you just had enough faith, you'd have this, and you'd be rich, and you'd be prosperous, and you'd have everything like that. That that wasn't the way that Jesus went to Peter. And really when he says you have little faith, he's. He's talking about maturity. You know, in God's people and in God's house, there's a lot of different levels of maturity. And and what we see a lot of times is that a mature faith keeps their eyes focused on Jesus and keeps their eyes focused on the word of God and, and keeps all of those spiritual disciplines in place no matter what goes on around them. But a faith that might be a little more immature and later, Peter gave his life for the gospel. So this isn't like a, a, a condemnation message that if you find yourself looking off to the right or left and you find yourself sinking a little bit, this isn't a shame on you, you immature person. This is a, guys, there's hope for you because the same Peter who was sinking one minute later ended up uh, being the rock upon which God helped build his church and, and one of the chief leaders in the move of God that you see in the book of Acts. And so if we see that we're like Peter and we have begin to sink a little bit, then today, and through this message and everything, I believe that this is Jesus reaching out his hand and offering you, hey, I know you've been sinking, but I'm right here, and I'm going to give you some things that you need to be able to get up and begin to walk on the water again. Because it doesn't say that Jesus reached down, picked up Peter, threw him on his back, and carried him back to the boat. It says that he reached, he helped Peter back up, and they continued to walk over to the boat. In other words, he got back where he was supposed to be. And so if you're a person who's been sinking, I don't want you to look at this message and get mad at me about it. Because I'll be honest, there's some things that are gonna step on your toes a little bit. Peter could have very easily been offended by Jesus saying, oh, ye of little faith to him. But he wasn't. He took the lifeline, he got up, and he began to walk in the direction that he was supposed to do. So if you've been one that's cast off vision, it's time to get back where we need to be. You know, Melody talked last week about a hunger for God's word in his presence, and he began to she kind of laid the foundation about the importance of being in the Word of God and that we guard our heart with all diligence and, and all of those things. And normally we do week by week and, you know, we do a four-part series, but I really felt like this time we need to just kind of slow down and just kind of put the, put the, the, the vision in the crockpot a little bit. Come on, how many of you know you can go cook some food on an oven real quick or something, and, and you got it. But when you put it in the crock pot, man, all that, that food, that, that flavor just seeps in there. But I, I give you West Virginians a little hint. You have to use seasoning. That, you know, you gotta use a little salt, gotta gotta use a little stuff in there. That that way that flavor soaks up in there a little bit more. You know, I I, I went to Louisiana and was down there, and that's one thing. In Louisiana, they're heavy with the seasoning and stuff. When I came back here, it was like everything tasted the first thing I'm looking for is okay, we're salt and pepper because the seasoning wasn't there. But this vision that we're gonna be sharing is kind of crockpot vision. So we're gonna continue talking about a hunger for God's word and his presence. and So this is part two, and and I think one of the biggest things that we have to realize right now is all the things that we're seeing in the world, it didn't catch God by surprise. And this is why the word of God is so important in our life, is because God warns his kids. He tries to tell them the things that are gonna be coming, so that when it happens, they don't lose vision and lose purpose, but they stay the course. They stay going. And In fact, we've looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and I want to go back to Matthew chapter 24 real quick. In verse 6, it said, in the last days you're going to hear of wars, you're going to hear rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not frightened. Like Don't, don't be scared by what you're listening to on Fox News or CNN or see on Facebook or all of those things, because these things must take place place so you know what that means that means all the christians who are standing back and saying god all the things that we see in the world you got to change it like the, the racial tension it's got to go away and the wars and rumors of war it's got to go away and the hunger and the things it's got to go away remove it remove it remove it jesus is saying hey God, don't waste your prayers on removing it because all of these things have to take place but the end is not yet because nation will rise up against nation. That, that word for nation is ethnos, and, and the word for et, the, the, uh, the English word for ethnos is race. In other words, he's saying race will raise up against race, and so there's going to be racial tensions in the last day. Kingdom against kingdom. He's not repeating himself, saying the same thing again. The, the word for nation is ethnos. The word for kingdom is basileia. Basileia is a governmental form. Basileia is a kingdom. Basileia is a republic or a nation there, and so he talks about that. That tension, it's going to come in in between different nations and everything. And this what happen in various places. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. He warned everything. And God has always done this for the the children of Israel. He would tell them and He would send prophets throughout the Old Testament and saying, Hey, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, if you don't destroy the sacrifices, if you don't eliminate the idols, then you're going to be taken into captivity. If you don't honor the Sabbath and all these things, you're going to end up going into exile. And they refused to listen. And what ended up happening? They got put in a 70 year timeout. Babylon came in, took them into exile. And then while they were in exile, while they were in the middle... Of God's punishment for their life, or God's correction in their life, you had a lot of prophets who saw the opportunity of I can get up and if I speak something that people want to hear, and then then people will begin to follow me and they'll they'll believe me and follow me and everything. And so in Jeremiah, you know, we love the scripture Jeremiah twenty nine eleven for I know the plans I have toward you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future and and all of that. We love it. We love it. We love it, but in context, it's Jeremiah telling the people, "Listen, you are going to be in exile and under this oppression and under this ungodly government for 70 years." And there were these prophets who are saying, "This isn't going to last in two years. We're going to go back. So don't settle in and all that." And Jeremiah is like, "No, no, 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 don't believe those other prophets we'll look at it in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse four. He says, "The Lord of hosts is saying this. To all the exiles, look at this, whom I have sent into exile, Okay, he wanted them to know this isn't just the Babylonians were stronger than me and somehow the Babylonians came and took you into exile. This was my doing. I am the one that sent you in to exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build houses and I want you to live in them. I want you to plant gardens and I want you to eat the produce. I want you to take wives and and and, and uh, become the father of sons and daughters. And I want your, your, your wives to give your sons and your daughters to husbands and, 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 your daughter, uh, and, and wives, and, and so your next generation, they're gonna begin to get married and settle in, but I want you to look at this last part. He says this, and he says, and multiply there and do not decrease. You know what that means? That even in the time of persecution and exile, that God's blessing can still be on your life to where you see multiplication and blessing in your life. And the church for too long has been wanting to avoid any tribulation and everything because they think the only way we can receive blessing is if there is no tribulation and there is no trials. But what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 is, actually, I'm going to deliver you into tribulation. All of these things that I'm talking about, wars and rumors of wars, all those things, they're going to happen. You're going to have a whole lot of people get offended during this time while these things are happening. and you're going to have all this what seems to be chaos going on but realize I'm right there with you he told his disciples at the end in John 16 that in this world you're going to have trials and you're going to have tribulations he goes on and it even says in verse 7 in Jeremiah there he says seek the welfare of the city in which I'm going to exile Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. So what is he saying? He's saying, submit to the leadership that is there, even this ungodly king, and you begin to pray for blessing upon the nation that has taken you into exile, because your blessing depends upon this nation being blessed. Not fight up and cause a revolt, not rebel against this nation that has taken you in exile, Realize that I have brought you here and that I can still bless you here. And this is an Old Testament thing where he's literally saying, pray for your enemy and pray for the people who bring you into bondage. Not that God would destroy them, but that God will bless them. That sounds a whole lot like what Jesus taught. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless them and curse them. And this is Old Testament. Jeremiah goes on, he says, All these prophets that are telling you stuff, you don't need to believe it. But just understand this that I've got plans for you. And they're going to prosper you. Can I tell you something? God has plans for his church. And some of the persecution and some of the things that we may have to go under, and I'll just be honest, guys, I don't think that it's gonna get better. I think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. So be of good cheer. Because Jesus has already overcome them. But we, from what Jeremiah was telling the people, he said, don't fight against them. Pray for them. Do we believe that God is big enough that even though we might be under persecution and bondage to ungodly leadership, that God still can bless us even in that season. And that's what Jeremiah was telling them. Don't just listen to the people who wanna tell you what you wanna hear. This isn't a message that everybody wants to hear. Some of you are like, I came to church to be encouraged this morning, and now you're telling me there's more persecution coming let me click off this link and go find somebody else who's more positive. Guys, I'm not, I'm not being negative about it. I'm showing you what Scripture says because there's, there's an important thing in it. When we see this type of persecution, God gives us instructions of what we're supposed to do. Paul told Timothy... Timothy is under great persecution, by the way. He's serving Emperor Nero. Nero is killing off half of his church. He's using them for candles to light the streets. He's using the other ones to throw in to, to be eaten by lions and things in front of people and the gladiators and all that. That was the church truly being persecuted. Listen, we're not persecuted because somebody asked us to wear a mask in here today, okay? And this is what Paul told Timothy who's facing that type of persecution. That's a little, everybody agree that's a little more persecution than anything we're facing right now. If you don't, then heaven help you because you ain't going to be able to keep going. He said this. After he said all those things in chapter 3 that we looked at about people are going to be lovers of themselves, they're going to be lawless, they're going to be all this. In chapter 4, verse 2, he said, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, which is a small correction, rebuke, which is a harsh correction, and then exhort. And so two of the three things that Paul said that we're going to do with the Word of God, two of them involve correction. Only one of them involves encouragement. Because how many know we need a little correction in our life? If God is coming back for a bride that is spotless, I don't know about you, but there's some spots in my life that I need God to continue to work on. I guess all of y'all are perfect. I'm like, why am I listening to this pastor who has... He said, do this with great patience because the time is coming when people won't endure sound doctrine. But instead, they're gonna want their ears tickled so that they can accumulate themselves, teachers who will teach according to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and they will turn them to myths. And guys, we're seeing that. We're seeing a lot of people who when we start talking about what our response as Christians should be to racial tension or what our response as Christians should be uh, to, to uh, political issues or things like that, that people don't want to hear what the word of God says about that truth. Instead, they want to hear somebody else who is going to agree with what they think. And that's exactly what he said. And, and then when, when he said that, uh, it, this is what, what Paul told him in verse five. He says, but, but all those people may leave and they may want their ears tickled and everything, but for you, in, be sober in all things, or be alert, be aware of what's really going on in all things, and endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. In other words, Paul said, when you see all this craziness and everything that's gonna get ready to come your way, all the hardship that's going to come your way, endure it. Don't fight it. Endure it. And preach the word. Do the work of evangelists. The word there for evangelists, a lot of times we think of an evangelist as somebody who just goes and travels, and they hold revivals and everything. The word for evangelist it's, it's two Greek words. One of them is, uh, is egelion, which just means the gospel, and the other one is angelos, which just means messenger. It's simply a messenger of the gospel. How are we messengers of the gospel? It's not necessarily the things that you preach. A lot of times it's the life that you live. What did Paul write to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter three? He said, you are my living epistles read by all men. You know what? Paul was basically telling them the same thing that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, after those verses that we read, He said this in verse 12. He said, the the lawlessness is going to increase. The love of many is going to grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so what was Jesus saying? When you see the wars, the rumors of wars, and all of those things, I need you to focus on one thing. You need to focus on preaching the gospel. You need to focus on speaking truth. And if we're honest, I think a lot of times we have been guilty of speaking more opinion than we have truth. Our posts on Facebook or social media, a lot of them have been more about whether I should have to wear a mask, or my political view, or am I Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter? You know, all of those things. A lot of our, our our things that we have posted have been more that than what God said we need to be posting. We need to be posting Scripture. We need to be posting the Word of God. We need to be posting things that are going to to encourage, rebuke, uh, correct. All of those things. We need to be about our Father's business and stay on course. The problem with a lot of things is a lot of people within the church have lost their focus and they taken up the, the thing of their political party or the movement that they want to be a part of or whatever and, and instead of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word, we've placed a lot of opinion. But guys, opinion isn't going to save souls. In, in Romans chapter 8, Uh, 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 Romans chapter 10, verse eight. It says this, it says, what shall we say then? The, The word of God is near you, and it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. And because we're preaching the word of faith, then that is to confess the, the, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. Then you shall be saved for the, uh, it's with the heart that a man believes and, and resulting in righteousness and with the mouth that he confesses unto salvation. In other words, it's because of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going out that people are being saved. He goes on and he begins to he, he says in verse 13 that all of those who will call upon the name of the Lord, that they will be saved. But in, in verse 14, he goes back and in and, and verse 14 he says this, pull that up for me. He says, How can they, how can they call upon him in who they have not believed? And how can they believe in whom they have not heard? Is the life that we're living and the posts that we're posting, are they pointing people more to a political candidate, a movement, a, a, a methodology, or a philosophy, or are they pointing people to Jesus? And if they're not pointing people to Jesus, then how can we expect to see the harvest of souls when we're not pointing people to him? We're not showing him. We're not telling him. And how would they hear without a preacher? It is not my responsibility because a lot of people are like, yeah, Pastor Brandon, go preach. But can I tell you something? There are people who would never listen to me. And there are people who have started listening to this message who would now never listen to me again. But if every single one of us are preaching The word of God, not just by what we say or what we post, but the life that we live. And you'll see people come to Christ in verse 17. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can preach your opinion all that you want, but that's not going to stir up faith in somebody's heart for them to be saved. You've got to preach the word. And here's the thing the results are not up to us. Because there's going to be a lot of people who may not receive what we speak. But it's our responsibility to just keep preaching, just keep sharing, just keep exhorting, just keep pointing people to Jesus. Because when we sow the word of God in somebody's life, here's the thing that happens. When we sow the word of God, the Holy Spirit, who's the only one who can change the heart of a man, has something to begin to work with in that person's life. He can begin to bring up that scripture. He can begin to bring up that song, that, those lyrics, those, those things, whatever it may be that, that, that are showing the scripture and showing Jesus. He, he can begin to, even through your life, something that you do when somebody's hateful and angry and, and just a complete jerk to you and you just love them and bless them and everything. You know what that does? In, in, in Romans chapter 12, it says that we don't overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good because in doing so, it's like throwing hot coals upon their head. Listen. A little kind deed can just give God something to just kind of burn up all that anger and sin and things that are in people's lives. Are you preaching the word of God with your life? I want you to go back to Romans chapter 10 verse 8 for me for a second. Notice it says there in capital letters, it says the word is near you and it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. When it's capitalize there we didn't capitalize it to kind of put emphasis on it to kind of shove it into your face you know people put caps lock when they're in an email or a text or something when they're kind of yelling at you we're not yelling at you this morning i promise i I may have been yelling a little bit but it's not because i'm angry it's because i'm passionate that capitalization in the in the nasb that's that's a way that they indicate that this is quoting another scripture that's somewhere else in scripture In Deuteronomy chapter 30, you see where he's quoting from. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, it says, this is the command that I'm gonna command you today. It's not difficult and it's not out of reach. This is something that we have to understand real quick. Because there's a lot of people who think Christianity is too difficult and it's too out of reach and they'll never obtain to be who they need to be. And so they're just like, I'm never gonna be that good. So I might, and and, and then people who you know pray a prayer and genuinely start coming to church and, and wanting God to do something in their life, sometimes they hit this wall where there's an habitual sin that keeps propping up or they keep losing their temper or whatever. And, and the enemy uses that to kind of condemn them that you're, oh, you call yourself a Christian, but you're nothing but a hypocrite and you know all that stuff. And so a lot of times people turn and just give up on walking with God because of condemnation and things that the enemy brings and Moses is telling not his church leadership team not his staff he's telling the generation of people Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law He's telling the people who were under 40 uh, that, that, that uh, you know, the 40 years that they wandered around in the wilderness because the older generation wasn't allowed. He's telling all of their kids who are getting ready to go possess the land that God has given them. He says, the commands that I'm giving you is not out, unobtainable. It's not out of reach. It's not like it's in heaven and you should say, who will go up to heaven and get it for us so that we can hear it and observe it. It's not like it's in the sea and and we say, who will cross over the sea and and make us be able to hear it so that we can observe it. But the word is near you, the word is in your mouth, and the word is in your heart. I want you to realize something. That part of the covenant that God gives us, and you can see it in Hebrews 8 and 10, and it's in the Old Testament as well. But he says, says, I want to write my word upon their heart. I want to put my, my law upon their heart. And I want them to be my people. And I don't want it to be where somebody has to preach and say, know the Lord, but I want everybody to know me from the very least of these to the greatest of these. In other words, I don't want to eliminate anybody from what I'm, what I'm giving you here. You know what that commandment was? If you back up to verse 10 in chapter 30, the commandment was this, obey the Lord your God and keep his commandments. Keep his statutes that are written in the book of the law. Turn your heart to God, or turn, your, turn, turn to, to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In other words, guys, don't just go through a religious routine. Don't just read the Bible. Do it. Obey it. You will see throughout Scripture, time and time again, if you, you read it, and you obey it. If you, if you just, just hear the word, but you don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. I mean, throughout the scripture, you see that the real power of God is, is not in just having the word of God and being familiar with the word of God. But the real power of God working in your life is through obedience to the word of God. And then he goes on and he says that in, in uh, uh, verse 15. He says, see, I have set before you life and prosperity. And I've set before you death and adversity. Let's take a poll real quick. How many of you want life and prosperity? Come on, if your hand is not up, you are a liar. Lord, bless them. Remove that lying spirit from them today. We much would rather life and prosperity versus death and adversity. And he says, If you keep this commandment that I give and love the Lord your God and you walk in his ways and you keep his commandments and statutes, then you will live and you will multiply. And the Lord will bless you in the land that you are getting ready to possess. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey him, and you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, can I most of us do not serve like little Buddhas. Or little idols. I don't know many people who bow down to a golden calf. I don't want you to focus in on that because many times that's what people will focus in on. Well, I ain't worshiping no idol. I want you to focus in on the turn away. If you turn away and put your focus on something that's not Jesus, that's an idol. When Peter turned away, and started focusing on the waves. It's what began to make him sink. The reason why we've got to have this series called Revision is because I, I see people in the church's eyes starting to turn away. And really, it's not to a bad thing. And here's the thing that you have to understand is that sometimes it can be a good thing that leads you away from a God thing. Think about this. When Eve was in the Garden of Eden, it says she saw the fruit and it was good to the eyes. And it looked good to eat. It was the goodness of it that drew her to it. That's why a lot of movements and things like that, they can even use scripture to try to get their turn. Isn't that exactly what the devil did in Matthew chapter four when he's tempting Jesus? He came to him and said, listen, the Bible says that if you throw yourself down, that he'll send his angels to protect you and to pick you up and you'll be protected. That's a good thing. But Jesus was focused on the God thing, which the God thing for that period of time was him praying and fasting. He said, but it is written that you should not tempt the Lord your God. He didn't allow the good thing to turn his eyes from the the God thing. I believe there's many people right now that you're allowing a good thing to turn your eyes from the God thing. And you're starting to see the results of it because you're starting to see a little sinking. Starting to find some of those things. You're starting to lose the peace. You're starting to lose the joy. You know, this time has been one of the darkest and could be one of the most depressing times that most people have had in their life, including me. You know what? I've seen those times when I start feeling that darkness and that weight and that heaviness just coming up on me. You know what it is? My eyes have slightly turned to how things are affecting me, how it's hurting me, how it's whatever. And then when I just shift my eyes right back to Jesus, and Jesus said, says in in the Bible when Jesus was going to Jerusalem to take up his cross it says like a flint he turned his eyes to Jerusalem even when Peter said this isn't going to happen to you he said get thee behind me Satan it wasn't wasn't that Peter was Satan but it it was that the enemy was trying to plant in Jesus' mind there's, there's another way. This doesn't have to happen. This doesn't have to happen. And he knew that if he entertained that thought, that it would get him off course from what he had to do. That's why he took his disciples. He did the last supper. He explained everything to them. And then he said, hey guys, I need y'all just to come pray with me. He knew he needed to get into the presence of God. Can I tell you something? So many times we think that the word of God is supposed to be like a pacifier to us that it just soothes us. It just brings peace. You know, my second daughter, Zia, she was in and out of the hospital a whole lot and they had to do a lot of IVs. They had to do different surgeries, had to do a lot of different things. And, and many times when we we're stuck in the hospital for weeks at a time and... and it's like after they would do an IV or something, we'd have to kind of hold her down and let them get the IV started. And after they do that, we could give her a pacifier and it would just soothe her, just bring peace on how many of you parents are grateful for the pacifier but when you're walking around with a pacifier at 10 years old how do you know that's causing some damage it's messing up your teeth it's it's just not right if your kids are on a pacifier at 10 years old it's time to remove it and take it away because they've got to learn to self-soothe and not rely on that. Here's the thing you have to understand about the word of God. It's not a pacifier. It's just supposed to make you feel good. The word of God is a sword. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul said, you've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But that's not the only place that he says it's a sword. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And that sword is the word of God. Because even in Revelation, you see him, he's got what? He's he's on his white horse and he's got the sword on his side. You see other times in Revelation where he has a sword in his mouth. It's, It's the word of God. And here's the thing that he says is that sword will set man against their father. It will set a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be members in his own house. And I can tell you that we've seen it. And there have been people who loved us and everything that now through some of the messages and things and that sword's been applied that they're not so fond of us anymore. We've seen how that's happened. He goes on in verse 37. And he says, but the one who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy, than me, worthy of me. The one who loves his son and his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is not the only place where Jesus talked about taking up a cross in Luke chapter 9. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross daily. Everybody say daily. It's not just when you feel like it, daily. Not just when it's convenient, daily. And follow me because the man who seeks to save his life is going to lose it. But the man who will lose his life for my name's sake, I believe it's in Matthew, it goes on and he adds another line there. For what does it gain a man? if he would gain the whole world, but lose his soul. And here in Matthew 10, you see the same thing. He who has found his life will lose it. If you find your life in any other thing but the kingdom work in Jesus, you'll lose it. There are movements and there are parties and there are things like that that are, are, are things that, that have good things in them. But don't chase after the good thing and fight for the good thing that you lose the God thing. This is something that's very important and I need you to listen to me on this. We cannot understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. A dead man has no rights. That's why it says in Philippians chapter two, that Jesus, even though he was the son of God, did not see equality as something to be grasped, but instead he became obedient, even to the cross and even unto death. Guys, the hunger for God's word and his presence that we talk about, is not just an acquaintance and being familiar with the word of God. It's obedience to it. Because like I said, one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses is deception. And if you don't know the truth, you'll easily fall for a lie. When we talk about hunger for his word and his presence, it shouldn't be hard for you to get up and get into the word of God. It shouldn't be hard for you to, to make it a part of your, your weekend and, and everything to take time to, to hear the word of God or join in on a podcast or, or do a small group or any of those things. That's just part of us daily taking up our cross. And if we see something in our life that doesn't line up with the word of God, We don't get to pick and choose what we believe. We change our life to where it lines up with his word. And as a church, I don't want us to be a church full of people who hear the word, but we don't do it. Because if we do that, we're deceiving ourselves. But I want us to be people who hear the word, even, and obey it even when it hurts. We're willing to endure some hardships for the sake of the kingdom.